0: If you brought a Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn to the prophet Isaiah, the sixth chapter. We're going to be looking together at a very familiar passage of Scripture this morning. I was rereading the book of Isaiah a couple of months ago. And this chapter just kind of grabbed my heart. I've read it so many times. I've preached it and taught my way through it so many times. I thought, you know, it's one of those that's easy to just kind of skim through. But then I got pulled into it. And I found myself really enjoying the sixth chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah. It was one of those things that brought joy to me, and I think, you know, we have to hold on to the joy we have because sometimes life takes it away from us quickly. I was thinking about this week while I was away, and I was realizing, you know, there are a lot of things that bring me joy about this congregation. I've been here for over 14 years, and I've watched and seen so many things. We've witnessed how God has worked in so many ways in numerous lives and homes and families. We've been allowed to see people come to faith in Christ and and grow in their faith. We've rejoiced in the birthing of new saints and grieved together in the burying of others. Our congregation has grown in this location. At the same time, we've had an impact across this region through evangelism that I don't know of another church this size that has done anything like it. And I praise God for it because it's all about Him. But you know, here's a reality. I can sit and tell you about all those things over 14 years, but I also want to warn you about a danger. We cannot allow ourselves to get caught up in the past. It's good to remember the past. It's good to learn from the past. We learn from the mistakes. We learn from the the successes. But we can't get caught up in trying to live in the past. We have to set our eyes on the future and what God intends to do in the days ahead if we are going to be useful in His kingdom. The world we're living in is changing, folks. And I want to tell you something. It's not just that it's changing, but the rate of change, the pace of change is accelerating every year. The change becomes faster. It becomes more difficult. And So the church of Jesus Christ must strive to stay out on the edge of that change. Now, before anybody gets upset with me, let me explain something to you. The world is changing, and our methodologies must change with it. People are being found in different places, living in different lifestyles, and we have to acknowledge that and go to where they are in order to engage them. But in the process of doing that, we must remind ourselves regularly that we serve an unchanging God who has given us his unchanging word And the message can never be changed. We cannot water it down. We cannot dilute it. We cannot soften it to make it more acceptable because if we do that, we remove the power of the gospel. You see, the gospel is found in the message of Jesus Christ. That's where the saving power of God is revealed in our world today. God has his ways. All we can do is walk in them, live in them, rejoice in them. I want us to be used by God. I want to be used by God. I want us as a congregation to be used by God to accomplish his purpose. If we're going to do that, I think there's some things we have to remind ourselves of. And those were clearly drawn to my attention as I was reading through Isaiah chapter 6 a few weeks ago. So I want us to look at this chapter. I want us to read this chapter together. I I know that when we do this, you're going to say, oh, I I know this chapter. I've read this chapter. Yes, you have. Many times. I promise you. But I want us to hear it. And I want us to just look at it this morning and remember three things that every believer needs to hang their hat on. All right? If you've got your Bible open to Isaiah chapter 6, if you can and will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. We begin at verse 1, where the prophet records, "...in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying." And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And he said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous and their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, for how long, O oh Lord? Lord. And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant. Until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged. Until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and the oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump." in this land. Would you pray with me? Father this morning I thank you and praise you for your word. For the hope that it contains even in the most desperate dark times. And Father I pray now that as we look to this word this morning in these few moments we have speak to our hearts Remind us of who you are and who we are. Convict us of sin. Call us to repentance and change. Father, above all else, I pray, call us to your service. And lead us to the place of surrender. Now, Father, teach your people, for we're ready to listen. But we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. I have read and preached this passage of Scripture so many times. And yet as I was reading it a while back, it just kind of jumped out at me again. And I found myself thinking about it, focusing on so many different things and thinking about different aspects and elements of what are here. I just want to tell you something. I could stay right here on this platform for probably about the next four hours unpacking this chapter. And I can already hear the groans. And, you know, I'm not going to do it. But I do believe that there are three things that every believer should remember About God and about who we are in relationship to Him. And I want us to unpack those things this morning because I believe that they are important if we are going to walk in His way, serve in His kingdom, and honor Him as our King. So this morning, I want to challenge us as children of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, to remember, to remember God's holy character. Folks, can I tell you something? Being a Christian, being a Christ follower is not a matter of just going to church. It's not a matter of just having your name on a church roll. God's Word says it is a call to discipleship. It is a call to deny self, to die to self, and to take up the cross of Jesus Christ and follow Him, to live according to His ways. And you know what? Sometimes the church is the, one of the greatest tools we have. Sometimes we can get hooked up to a church and it's, it's killing our discipleship. I'm just going to tell you now. You need to be very careful about the Christian people you associate with. You need to get with people who are going to encourage you to get in the Word, stay in the Word, learn the Word, live the Word. If they're not doing that, they're not doing you any favors and they are not helping you in your Christian growth. We must remember His character. Because we are called as disciples to learn his character so that we can begin to emulate his character. It's not about just knowing who God is. It's knowing what God is like so that as we follow him, we can begin to display him. You see, that's what Jesus was talking about when he talked about us being salt and light. If we don't know the character of God, we can't be salt and light. Being salt and light means that we've learned some, some things about the character of God. We've internalized them, and now we're going to live that out so that others see God in us. Does that mean we become God? No. It's not even close. Never happen. But we can begin to live more like Him. Now, I just want you to see a couple of things. First off, notice where Isaiah started this whole process in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, now just stop right there. Let me just tell you what's going on. There is a great national crisis fixing to happen. There is going to be a battle for the throne. There is going to be a battle to see who is going to reign and rule over the nation. This great king Uzziah, he was a good man. He did a lot of good things. Had some problems too, by the way. If you want to do that, you can do your own research and study on Uzziah. He had his own set of problems, but I'm just going to tell you, he had been a good king for the nation of Israel. And now that this good king has died, who knows what's coming next? It's kind of like when you have an election every 4 years. You hold your breath on election night. Who knows what you're going to find in the morning when you wake up? Direction can change. Everything can be turned upside down and inside out in a matter of weeks. And that's what Isaiah is looking at. And isn't it normal? Isn't it normal? Look at what Isaiah says In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne. Do you know why? He went to the temple. When there's a great national crisis, where do people go? Where do they turn? To the house of God. I was pastoring in eastern Oklahoma when 9 11 occurred. We were carrying chairs in and setting them up because we had so many people in that small town who wanted to come to God's house. They wanted to be with people who were praying. They wanted to be where they could hear a word from the Lord. The tragedy is that six weeks after it happened, they were gone again. This is our human nature. When there's a crisis, a national crisis, we turn to the house of God. Isaiah goes to the temple. He goes to the house of God. And while he's there, he has this vision. You know, I was reading this and I asked myself a question I never asked myself before. What would you expect God to be like? I mean, if you could have a vision like this, what do you expect God to look like? What do you expect it? I mean, folks, I, I, to me, it's just kind of frightening. I don't even know that I want to have a vision like this, all right? But, but he has this vision. What, and a lot of people, you know, I talk to a lot of different folks. I've had people tell me, well, you know, I, I think God is like some free-floating, formless, ethereal, shapeless being out there. You know, kind of like a, a, a wisp of smoke that never dissipates. It just keeps flying along. I know I'm a pastor, and that's just ignorant. All right? Now a lot of other people see him as, you know, a grandfather figure. He's in his rocking chair up in heaven on the porch, you know, and he's got this long flowing white beard and and he watches all of his children because he doesn't have any grandkids, he just has children. And he's watching all of his children and seeing their ignorance and he's he's winking at what they do, not taking it seriously when they sin and and so forth. And, And I know I'm a pastor, but folks, that's just stupid. All right? And then there are those, these are the ones that really blow my mind. If there's a God at all, he set everything in motion and then he just disappeared off into the distance somewhere to watch and see how it would all play out. Well, that's just foolish. I don't care if I'm a pastor or not, that's just foolish. All you've got to do is look at this world and know that there is a God. He did create it, but he's still actively involved in it. He didn't walk away, and he certainly does not wink at sins, and he ain't no puff of smoke. He's the real deal that makes things happen, and he puts it together, and he takes it apart. Isaiah had a vision of God, and he didn't see some little puff of smoke, and and he didn't see some granddad up there with a long white beard and a rocking chair. No, he saw a mighty king seated upon the throne. He said, I saw the Lord, and what he saw amazed him. He was high, exalted, seated upon his throne. I love what he says here. His train, the train of his robe filled the temple. You know, I remember back in the day whenever we watched, a lot of us did, watched a royal wedding back in the 80s. Y'all remember? Princess Di, Charles. Goofiest thing I ever saw in my life. But this woman had a train. I mean, if she had not had girls walking along behind carrying that train, it would have pulled her over backwards. Never understood somebody wanted to have that much cloth attached to them, but she did. And here's Isaiah talking about seeing this vision of God and the train of his robe. Listen, it didn't say it filled the center aisle. It doesn't say that it, it, it swirled around his throne. It says it filled the temple. What in the world is this about? Let me me explain something to you. In Middle Eastern culture, monarchs in the Middle East would have the most ornate, expensive throne that they could possibly have. And they would sit upon it. And it was always in an elevated position so that anyone who came in to see them would have to look up to them. You know, it was kind of this whole mental game thing going on, all right? And they always had a train on their robe. But here's where it gets fun. When they would go to battle, they would go to war, and one kingdom would fight against another kingdom. Whenever one king's army would vanquish another king's army, they would go and cut the train off of the vanquished king's robe, and they would attach it to their own. So the longer their robe, the train on their robe got, the more countries they had conquered, the more armies they had defeated, the more people they were making subservient under them. And so when Isaiah says his train filled the temple, what he's trying to say is he's conquered every nation. He reigns over every people. There are no monarchs who can stand against him. There are no kings who can compete with him. There is nobody who is equal to him. He is the one and only God of the universe and he is over all things. So man, Isaiah's having a vision, and he's seeing this thing, and I mean, it's really messing with his head. And then, if that wasn't enough, he said, then these little creatures start flying around. Seraphs. Now, I don't think seraphs look like Cupid. I'm just going to tell you right now, all right? I think that's what a lot of people have got in their mind, you know, is this little cute. No. I don't know exactly what a seraph looks like, but I'm telling you now, if they got three sets of wings, they got to be kind of freaky looking, Right? And here they are, they're flying around. What are they doing? They're ministering to God. They're worshiping him. They are there to serve his bidding, to do whatever he desires to have done. And they have six wings. With two wings, they covered their face. With two wings, they covered their feet. With two wings, they were flying. And they are proclaiming out loud, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The angelic praise, the presence of God himself, it's an earth-shaking event. Isaiah says, man, the temple begins to shake and quake, and, and, and there's smoke filling the place. Wow. I just want you to understand something. You need to remember God's holy character. Everything about this description says that God is above you. He is above me. He is over all of us. There is none equal to Him. There is none like Him. And there are none of us who should ever get to a place where we do not fear Him. Which brings me to my second point. I would challenge us this morning, each one of us, remember your place in His kingdom. Let's get one thing straight. He is the king. We are not. He is in control. We ain't. Sometimes we tend to act like we think we're in control. We're going to make the decisions. We're going to be our own boss. We're going to set the course. Friend, I just want to tell you something. If that's the direction you're taking, you are not walking toward God. You're walking away from God. God's presence brings an awareness of our weakness. I want you to just stop for a moment. Stop your brain in your tracks. Some of you are already dead in the water, I know. Just stop your brain in tracks for a minute. Go back. Do you remember a time when you were in a worship experience? And the presence of God was so powerful in that place that you just almost couldn't stand it. It felt like you were being lifted up off the floor, but at the same time it felt like there was a tremendous weight crashing down on top of you. The tears came and you couldn't stop them. You, couldn't, you didn't even want to. You didn't care if anybody saw you crying. And you were filled with such joy just simply to be in the presence of God. Listen, when you have that type of an encounter with God, it is an amazing thing. It's a wonderful thing. But, don't you love that word? But, with that type of an experience with God also comes a keen awareness of our failures. I love those moments. I love, I I wish that every Sunday morning was just one of those whoosh kind of glory bomb. I mean, he just bombs the place, you know? But the reality is most of us couldn't live with it because we're carrying too much sin around in our lives. And when the Shekinah glory of God drops onto the place, when the presence of God overwhelms you, I want to tell you right now, my friends, if you are carrying sin around in your life, you become desperate to find a place underneath the chairs because you don't want God to find you. That's kind of where Isaiah was at. He sees this vision of God. He's made aware of of the holy character of God. And then all of a sudden he says, oh no. That's my translation of woe is me. Oh no. Verse 5. Woe to me. I'm ruined. I'm a dead man. I mean it's dead prophet walking right here. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King. The Lord Almighty. See, Isaiah was of the line, he was a prophet, but he was of the priestly line. He knew the scriptures. He knew that a man could not look upon God and live. God's word says so. And here he is, and he says, I've seen him. I'm dead. No living here. I'm I'm finished. Y'all go ahead and plan my ceremony. See, a sinful man cannot look on the holiness of God and survive that. But here he was, seeing the one who is holy, holy, holy. By the way, I just want to point something out to you. When it says holy, 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 I don't think it's just telling us that God is is, is really, really holy. Because I know that three is the number of completion. But I think this is also an indication that, you know what, where God is, God is. And the Trinity is there. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all three, each one of them is holy. He said, well, you haven't got any proof of that. Well, you can go a little further down, and, and God says, whom shall I send for us? Plural. I think Isaiah is seeing something that none of us even begin to understand or comprehend. It's overwhelming him. Because he knew as a teacher of the Word of God, if sin put man out of the garden... If sin led God to destroy the world by flood in Noah's day, if sin brought about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, I can keep on going, by the way, here, folks, but I'm going to stop short so we can get done, all right? If sin can do all of those things, then we have no hope when we stand before God. Because each one of us is a sinful person. God's word is very plain. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are not above that. But then God did the most extraordinary thing in Isaiah's life. And I call it extraordinary because he did it in my life too. And many of you here sitting in front of me, he's done it in your life as well. And we ought to rejoice together in the fact that he's done it and we ought to be wanting others to experience it and we ought to rejoice when God does it in somebody else's life because this is an amazing thing. Here's what Isaiah was reminded of that we too often forget. I want you to listen to me. I want you to li- everybody's eyes up here. Here's what I want you to hear. Salvation is of the Lord. We can use all kinds of methodologies. We can use all kinds of tools, but I want to tell you something. You don't trick anybody into the kingdom of God, and you don't save anybody into the kingdom of God. Salvation is of the Lord. Now, he can use us. He can use our methods. He can use our tools. He can use our efforts, but I'm going to tell you something. If God don't save them, they ain't saved, and they never will be until he does it. So what's that got to do with Isaiah? Isaiah. Here he is, realizing his sinfulness, contemplating his demise, his doom, his ruin, his death. And look at what he says. One of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand that he had taken with tongs from the altar. This is the altar of God. With it, he touched my mouth. See, it has got to be a vision. And otherwise, you just got his mouth seared shut, right? He touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt, your guilt, your sin guilt has been taken away and your sin atoned for. You see, in the Old Testament, that was the course of it it was the altar, it was the sacrifice, it was the cult. Not anymore. Today, it's the blood of Jesus Christ. We live in a different age. There has been a new covenant cut. There has been the establishment of a new testament, if you will. And we live in an age of grace whereby the blood of Jesus Christ washes us clean. It's not a burning coal any longer that will bring cleansing into your life. It is the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that was shed at Calvary. And there is no other sacrifice to be made, no other sacrifice required. And nothing else will ever do for you what the blood of Jesus Christ Christ can do the messenger of God this angelic being this seraphim comes and brings cleansing and purging to the prophet of God today we go to Calvary we go to the place of the cross we go to that place where we stand together and we experience forgiveness and cleansing and hope And we find life. See, that's the entry point into discipleship. Is that cleansing moment. That's, you say, well, no, that that didn't happen for me. I did not become a disciple for years. That's because you messed up. All right? The reality is the moment that you came under the blood of Christ and you experienced salvation and forgiveness, at that moment, in that instant, in that second, you were called to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. What that means is to follow him, to learn his ways, to get into his word and into his teachings and embrace them and, and, and take them in so that you could begin to live them. Let me tell you one more thing. If I don't, I'm just going to keep going. Because this kind of goes right into it, all right? This this whole discipleship thing. We must always remember, we must always remember to hear and follow his direction. The world is going to try to give you options. don't exist I hope you're hearing me the world is going to try to give you options that don't exist they're going to tell you that there are different ways to heaven no there's one way to heaven and there's a whole bunch of different ways to hell and they'll make it sound good they'll make it look good they'll make it sound appealing and look attractive but I'm telling you I'm telling you there's one way that's right And then there are a multitude of ways that will lead you to destruction. And by the way, I'm not just talking to kids. This is for everybody. All right? We must learn to hear his voice and follow. So what do you mean by that? You got your Bible open? Look with me again. Isaiah has just received his cleansing. To to put it into a common, a, a modern vernacular, he's just experienced forgiveness. He's just experienced his salvation moment, if you want to call it that way, okay? I mean, the Lord has just cleansed him, atoned for his sin. That's what it says here. And after that, man, I'm telling you, he is in tune with God. He hears the voice of God saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? We're in the temple, folks. In this passage, we are in the temple. We are in the heart of Israel. Surrounded by God's people. And yet God is saying, I can't find anybody. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? What a frightening thought that God could come inside his house with his people and say there's nobody here I can use. Isaiah piped up. Here. Here am I. Send me. He heard. He responded. Now. This is where I love Isaiah. I love finding Bible characters that are like us. Okay? And Isaiah is like us. He he heard the message and he said, oh yeah, I'm in. And then he said, wait a minute, what's that going to require? He did. Look, this is exactly what happens. He says, send me. And so God tells him, go tell this people. Be ever hearing, but never understanding, ever seeing, never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous, make their ears dull, close their eyes. Otherwise, they may see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Now, first off, I want you to understand, God is not telling Isaiah, be a lousy preacher. Be a lousy preacher so that they won't hear or see or turn. That's not what he's telling them. What he's telling Isaiah is they're not going to turn they're not going to listen, they're not going to see, they're not going to hear, they're not going to repent. If you think Noah had it bad preaching for 120 years and never seen a single convert, Isaiah, get ready because your ministry is going to parallel his right now. Now, I just want to tell you something. When God calls a young man to preach or calls someone to ministry, the last thing you want to hear is God's calling you to ministry for the rest of your life so that you can see nothing happen. That's not what I bargained for, God. Verse 11, Isaiah says, for how long, God? How how long are you going to make me do this? I said, yes, don't make me regret it, God. How long do I have to keep doing this? And I want you to see God's answer. You see, it's not about what you see. It's about what I'm doing. Isaiah, be faithful. You proclaim this message until the cities lie ruined and without anybody in them, no inhabitants. You do it until every house is emptied out and left deserted. The fields have been ruined and ravaged and there are no crops. You do it until the Lord has sent everyone so far away that the land seems to be utterly forsaken and empty. There'll be a few people there. No, a tenth remains, this land's going to be laid to waste. Listen, the word God gave to Isaiah here, it wasn't encouraging. It wasn't hopeful. It wasn't filled with optimism and hope and, and encouragement. It wasn't an easy calling. It was a call to be faithful even through disappointment and struggle. You know, I wish I could tell you that ministry is always a joy. I wish I could tell you that it's never a struggle when you serve the Lord. But that's not the truth. There are some dark days. There are difficult times. There are difficult people. There are sermons you don't want to preach, but God won't let you be silent. There are things you don't want to do, but God says you got to do it. And if I told you it was always easy, I'd be dishonest with you. So why do you do it? Because of the hope. The hope. What's the hope? A few years back, we had a really good windstorm around here. And uh, we had a Had some limbs we had to clean up and so forth. But I drove around back to the church and there was a cottonwood laying down. Most of it was in the pond out back. A couple of us went out there. We cut and we pulled and we pulled and we cut. And we got most of that cleaned up and then there was one piece left. Y'all remember? I see a couple of faces grinning. We cut it off down low that'll take care of that. If you walk out back back there, there's all kind of shoots coming off of that stump. And I don't want to cut it out of there because it serves to me as a reminder of the end of this chapter. Because here's what God told Isaiah. As the terebinth and the oak leave stumps when they're cut down, So the holy seed will be the stump in the land. As long as there's life there, just a little bit, it's going to come back. Now folks, I know sometimes we struggle because it seems like we're doing, we're, we're doing, we're serving, we're going out there, we're stretching ourselves, we're, we're, we're trying to do the things we think God is leading us to do. And, and yet there are times when, man, we, we can come together and we rejoice because we hear that God has done something, He's moved in a mighty way, you've witnessed it, you've been a part of it, it's exciting. We're pumped up about it. Then there are those other days. You know the ones I'm talking about. Where you want to give up and you want to quit. You want to say it's useless. The world's changed. People don't care about hearing about Jesus anymore. And I, I, I want you to just remember something. God is faithful. And what God has said he will do, he will always do. His purposes will be accomplished. And I want you to hear me, church. We are not called to be successful We are called to be faithful. If we are faithful, that is the divine measure of success. If we hear his leading and we follow his leading, if we do what he calls us to do, no matter what the outcome is, God will look and say, well done, good and faithful servants. My friend, simple fact. That God is on the throne. He always has been. He always will be. He has never abdicated the throne. Nor will he ever step away from it. For anyone, anyone else. He is God. And he is in the business. He is in the business of reconciling the world to himself one person at a time he did it in my life he did it in many of yours and I'm confident that there's someone sitting here saying I I don't know if you ever did that with me lucky you today can be your day Because he is in this place and he stands ready to extend to you forgiveness and eternal life. If you will come to him in repentance and faith say, well, that all sounds good, but I'm not sure how that works, and I'm not sure what it all even means. That's okay. That's why we're here. We want to help you understand that. We want to help you take those first steps, not so you can become a statistic in a church book or on a church roll, but so that you can become a disciple of Jesus Christ and a part of the kingdom of God. You need that relationship? You need a fresh start, a new beginning? You, You need to go a way you've never gone before? Today can be your day. In a moment, we're going to stand together. We're going to sing. And if you need that relationship, I want to invite you. Come take me by the hand and tell me. I will not embarrass you, put you on the spot, call you out by name, or do anything else like that. But I'd love to visit with you about how you can become a child of the King today. Brothers and sisters in Christ, how's your walk as a disciple? Are you just satisfied to be saved and sit? Or do you realize that you've been called to service? Maybe it's time to get back into growing in our relationship. Would you let him do something with your life? What do you need to do? What's he calling you to do? Hey, this is a novel idea. Hear and follow his direction. It might just change your life if you have a meeting with the almighty God upon his throne. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of, of invitation, of commitment. I, I just want to invite you. I want to invite you to respond to whatever the Lord might be saying to you. Maybe there's a sin issue. You, you need to get it right between you and him. You can talk to him about that where you are. You can come to this altar if you just want to come to an altar and pray. You want someone to pray with you, I'd be happy to meet you right down here and pray with you. Maybe you need a relationship with the Lord. You know that you do. You've been battling against it. Maybe the Spirit of God has been calling you, prompting you. You know that there's something more and you're missing it. You want to try it. You want to, you want to taste it. You want to see what this is all about. I just want to invite you. Come take me by hand and say, Pastor, I want that relationship. I won't embarrass you. But I want us to discuss and work our way through this together. See, this is not just about saying an easy prayer. This is not just about walking down an aisle. This is not about shaking hands with the preacher. This is about having a face-to-face meeting with the Almighty God. This is about trusting in His Son, Jesus Christ, the only way of salvation. And He's calling you today. If you're hearing His voice. I plead with you. Hear Him. And follow His direction. Father, I thank You this morning for Your Word. Lord, how challenging it is to to know that there are going to be those seasons of ministry that seem fruitless, that seem empty. But Your will is always being accomplished. And so our calling is to follow, to be obedient, to be faithful, to do what you've called us to and just trust you for whatever the outcome is going to be. Father, that's my prayer today, that we would be that people, that we would walk in your way, we would trust you, we would follow without hesitation. Lord, I know that there's someone in this room who doesn't know you someone who needs a personal relationship with you, I pray for them, Father, right now in this moment, that your Spirit would simply give them no peace. Begin to work in their hearts, massage them, draw them, convict them, but bring them to the point where they have to make that choice, Father, to follow or to turn away. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Don't let us be satisfied. With anything less than genuine, authentic discipleship. Don't let us be satisfied with simply saying, I go to church, my name's on a church roll, I give some money every now and again. That's not enough, Father. You want our hearts, you want our lives. I pray that today you would drive that home heart, drive that home in our hearts. Father, I know people come into this place, they bring all kinds of baggage. They bring all kinds of stuff. Today, I pray, Father, that it be laid at the foot of the throne. That we would trust you. And walk away. Father, have your way in each life. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.